welcome to the Pouring My Art Out podcast, where we talk about art when uh, other things aren't happening. We often talk about the history of art, but this is different. That is why this, the 66th episode of the podcast, is called The Art of History. See? Totally different than the history of art. I know it sort of sounds like maybe we are going to talk about how to write about history, and we should talk about that sometime, somewhere. Because think about it. Writing fiction very often requires writing about history, even if it is made-up history, on an alien planet. In point of fact, my action-adventure sci-fi series of novels, The Saloon at the Edge of Everywhere, is based in multiple dimensions. This means that as I write more novels in the series, I can have our hero visit endless realities where history is completely different, and I get to make up each of those histories. Sorry, I am getting distracted talking to you about stuff I just told you I wasn't going to talk about now. Man, how do you even put up with me? What I really want to talk about, first and foremost, right now, is art that is history. I mean, I think that is what I'm going to talk about. Let's find out, shall we? There is a famous and perhaps overused saying that goes, A picture is worth a thousand words. There are not enough words in any language to explain a sunset or a misty view from a mountaintop. Try to describe someone's face to someone else over the phone. They would never get an exact mental image of the face you were describing. Sure, hair color and shape, eye color, height, build, we have the framework for which to give a fairly accurate idea of some generalities. But when you get down to the shape of the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and how they meld into each other, the countless angles and planes and subtle curves of the human face, it is not possible to sum it all up. I guess if you were describing it to a sketch artist, they might get pretty close to a decent drawing of the face. But if you weren't with them, looking at it, telling them to make the eyes a little further apart or the lips a little bit fuller, The face just a tad thinner? Well, you see what I mean. As an author, of sorts, I am constantly called upon to describe stuff. Things, places, and living things, be they the life forms of our earth or other more exotic places. And as my murder mystery novel was set in World War II London, I had to get historic details right on top of describing made-up people in real settings and imaginary ones. I guess what I am saying is that it would be hard to describe a swamp in any great detail to someone who grew up in a desert and has only seen a few small dry bushes. Art is inextricably intertwined with our history our ability to relate to our own past as a species. Pretend you wanted to write a book, fictional or historical, about Abraham Lincoln. You have one advantage right off the bat. Everybody knows what Abe Lincoln looked like. There are photos and paintings. In fact, he is the perfect example for my purposes because he was president at the same time that photography was becoming a viable and mobile form of art. Photography expanded and simplified the picture. 
Anyone can use a camera. Not everyone can paint an accurate portrait. We almost feel we know Marilyn Monroe and Albert Einstein and Al Capone and Franklin Roosevelt and, well, almost everybody who is famous now, today. Photography is an interesting subject, historically and conversationally. Without doing any research and thus getting us sucked down into the Google hole again, I will go out on a limb and speculate that photography, the equipment and chemicals needed to do it, didn't start off to be an art form. I think it was more likely just a scientific experimentation to see if it could be done. Maybe there was a specific purpose, a need, to create a real-life image. Well, maybe an artist did invent it. I don't know. Somebody really ought to Google that, but not me. Anyway, once cameras that could be moved, and yes, there were air quotes there because it took a large wagon to move all that stuff, you must have seen them in a movie or on TV, wherever, the, the Civil War era cameras. Big wooden boxes with an accordion-like wrapping around the lens, and the guy had to duck under a black hood on the back of the camera, and the camera was on a sturdy tripod. The flashbulb was a small metal trough on a stick, which was sprinkled with gunpowder, I think, and the flash of the small explosion was the light source. Now, maybe you don't know who Matthew Brady was, but if you have ever seen one of those Civil War photographs of soldiers posing and of dead soldiers on the battlefield, that was him, most likely, Matthew Brady and his assistants. Because once people got the ability to capture images, it quickly became apparent that people liked pictures of an artistic nature, flowers and sceneries and views, but even more, people liked to see the reality of life around them that they personally did not get to see. You could see Abraham Lincoln without having to travel anywhere. Thus, the newspapers switched over from hard-to-make, hand-carved wood block and ink images to photographs. Dang it, I couldn't help myself. I googled Matthew Brady, and it turns out that he's even more pertinent to my point than I expected. He opened his own studio in New York in 1844 and photographed John Quincy Adams and Abe Lincoln, among other public figures. During the Civil War in America, he would travel the battlefields following the army with his wagon-drawn studio and darkroom. He would be there before the bodies were buried. Dead soldiers on the field, bombed, burned, and ruined cities and towns, and the fighting troops and officers. He took a photo of Lincoln before his inauguration. In later photos taken during the war, you can see Lincoln's face, creased by the burdens he was carrying. He aged impossibly before our eyes. His own eyes looked haunted. So what happens when you can take a photo of something or someone and then write or have someone else write the story that goes with the picture? That's basically what a newspaper is. So news is a business, but photography and writing are both arts. Hmm... In fact, one article called Matthew Brady the world's first photojournalist, the father of photojournalism. And news captures history. That is sort of the point of it. It is chronicling our history. Have you ever read a really old newspaper, like decades old? It is a glimpse at the world on one day in time. History. 
We are so used to images now that things don't seem real if there are just words but no pictures. In fact, we have moved on off the other end of that idea, and now people are beginning to doubt the images. Moon landing, fake news. Some people honestly believe that humans never set foot on the moon. It was done on a soundstage. But anyway, I am not talking about the news. Okay, well, I mean, obviously I am. I was, but what I am now going to start talking about, again, is the art of history. The very first thing I do to start a new podcast episode is to open my notebook to any blank piece of lined paper. I write the idea for the title, or one or two ideas, across the top. Then I start jotting down ideas in single choppy sentences. Things I want to talk about, things I should or shouldn't look up in research, an idea or two for a funny commercial, and points that I really want to make. On the top of the note page for this episode, under the title, I wrote, and I quote, Caesar statues, he okayed them. No periods, just a little dash between Caesar statute and he okayed them. And what did I mean by that cryptic little note exactly? I don't know. I wrote that like a few days and a few pages ago. I am now scribbling on page 7 of my meandering episode. But what I think I meant is that we have actual statues of Roman rulers that are still surviving in museums around the world. And they must be fairly accurate carvings because I guarantee that statues of Roman rulers are going to be looked at by said Roman ruler before it was just put up willy-nilly in the forum. Sure, many, most of them, are probably a little kind to the faces they represent. That is understandable. Anyway, my whole point is that we know what people looked like who lived 2,000 years ago. And what about all those Egyptian pharaohs and their fancy funeral art? Those awesome sarcophagi. We know what some of the pharaohs looked like. We can see their faces. That is the art of history. Oh, money. Hey, that's an art form that is also history. I had a series of blog posts on the pouringmyartout.com blog about money as art. I used my digital microscope to take photos of money I have collected from around the world in my travels. The artwork on money is a look into the culture where the money is made. Mexican money is nothing like Greek money, is nothing like English money, is... Well, you get it. There are always pictures of famous people or landmarks on money. The symbolism of the images is a glimpse into the soul and history of a people. Also, money, both paper and coin, looks really awesome under a powerful microscope. You should check those posts out if you can find them. Heck, almost anything is both cool and or disgusting when looked at up close. And this idea that coins reflect a society includes all those ancient coins in museums all over. They are a touchstone to moments in history. Am I the only person that thinks history is interesting or important? History is literally why we are where we are, and why we do what we do. But whatever, I can't make you interested in the past if you just aren't. But everything that ever happened to everyone, everywhere, and every when, that's all history is. No big deal. But I do appreciate you indulging my own interest in history. 
I love that those funny sideways paintings the Egyptians did are both silly and incredible. Yeah, they hadn't perfected realism in art, but taken as a whole, they produced images of everyday life and the creatures they saw. They painted boats and fishermen and farmers harvesting crops and on and on. Think about how much we know about a culture that flourished long before the Roman Empire, before the Greeks became ascendant. We know what they wore and what their everyday tools and goods looked like. A picture, an instant in history. And hey, what about the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, what about the Eiffel Tower? I can almost hear you asking in some confusion. Well, it started off as a test in the structural strength of the girders as much as anything else. I think that's true. Somebody Google it. Somebody else. But I do know that the Parisians mostly hated the tower. They thought it was an eyesore and an abomination. Now, of course, it is the heart of France. Part of their identity. It might be one of the most captured images in the world in photography and painting and film. That is history that is art. That is art that is history. And that's what I'm talking about. Art that lets us see history. Feel history. Before cameras, which were invented by people you should really Google, there were paintings. Well, obviously because we have already established that the ancient Egyptians painted but I mean what we consider modern art paintings, which actually go back hundreds of years, but that is why we have paintings done in Paris and Rome and London and Amsterdam and Venice. We know what Venice looked like in the 16th and 17th centuries, captured by skilled painters. I have been to Venice. Some, a lot of it, hasn't changed at all since the paintings were made, except for satellite dishes and plumbing that doesn't empty out right into those delightful canals. And we know what Napoleon looked like, and the kings and queens of England, and William Shakespeare. Millions of images of millions of real people and real places in different times. People, that is as close to time travel as we can get right now. Hey, has anybody noticed that I am all the way up to page 11 on my handwritten script and nobody has interrupted me? That kind of worries me. Oh well. So I guess, now that I think about it, our caveman cave painting friends were showing us animals and stuff from their time so very long ago. Talk about art that is history. But we should go back to sculpture, carving another of the very old forms of artistic expression. Cave people are often found buried with trinkets carved like animals or into human shapes. From those statues of the emperors of Rome to the face of the Sphinx. The... Wait, hold on, my phone is vibrating. Oh, it's Mr. Flubber Biscuits. Let me put him on speaker. Hey, 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 Arthur, it's a banana beef flubber biscuits. Hi, Mr. Flubber. Owner and general manager. Yes, hello, sir. I... Nana P. Flubber Biscuits Incorporated. Of course, sir, and Makers what... of the tastiest, flakiest biscuits in town. And what can I do for you, Mr. Flubber Biscuits? 
I want you and Jimmy to make me a new commercial for our new product. Well, what's the product, sir? Flubber Biscuits Fiber Bombs. It's a breakfast cereal, because trust me, Arthur, you need to soak these things in liquid to eat them. They got more fiber in them than a thick carpet. Make you as regular as Old Faithful. Imagine that you held one end of a long wool scarf and then swallowed the rest of it. And then when the other end of the scarf came out of, uh, well, the other end of you, you grabbed one end of the scarf in each hand and just started tugging one way into other. These things clean you out like that. Put a sparkle on the old innards, sure enough. I am never going to stop imagining that, Mr. Flubber Biscuits. Well, can you make me a commercial, Arthur? I could never describe it better than you just did. I will just add a jingle. Okay, thanks, Arthur. Speak to you later. Goodbye, sir. Oh, here's some exciting news. I have a new corporate sponsor. Let's see. Uh, the email just says, read the script they sent me and put some appropriate music behind it. Okay, here's the script. <clears throat> I love Oliver Squishy Bits, a new lifestyle wellness clinic and brand. Dr. Oliver Squishy Bits, a board-certified OBGYN and graduate of both the prestigious Berlin Technical Engineering and Design University and the Paris Fashion Institute, has created feminine hygiene products of unparalleled quality. I love Oliver's Squishy Bits, intimate oils and lotions, gels and creams. I love Oliver's Squishy Bits. And it all comes in a wide variety of soothing scents and exotic essences. I love Oliver's Squishy Bits for all your personal needs. Dr. Oliver Squishy Bits was once certified to practice as an OBGYN in the state of Nebraska. Both the Berlin Technical Engineering and Design University and the Paris Fashion Institute are accredited online entities. So I sent in a copy of the ad, just like I just played you to I Love Oliver Squishy Bits, and Dr. Squishy Bits sent me a message. Well, here, I'll just play it for you. It is pronounced Squishy Bits. You have made me a laughing stock. No money for you. So you got to hear the commercial for free, just to fill this episode out. You're welcome. And sorry about that. Dr. Squishy Bits. Well, that's really all I wanted to say in this episode.
I just wanted you to think about any kind of art that is also history. Whatever you think about, it could be the changing lines of automobiles over the decades, the subtle curves or daring fins, the sleek predatory shape of the original Corvette Stingray, each representing an era in American culture. Or maybe stop and ponder that every song you listen to owes its origins to creative people over the ages learning to make and use instruments and the human mind and voice to create music and move it along into the future. Whatever. I guess that's it. I will play you out with uh, music of some kind. Bye, people. Bye, people.